Welcome to episode number 264. Today's episode is a fascinating dive into some of the lesser known forms of poultry, and that is going to be geese, and we'll also be talking a little bit about ducks. And not just raising these animals for eggs and or food production, though we are going to be talking about that too, but also ways that you can make money from these types of poultry on your homestead and ways to look at what other people are offering around you or raising and then finding a different and unique angle to give yourself, this kind of sounds funny, but an edge in the marketplace. So if you're looking for ways to earn an income from your homestead or your homesteading endeavors, you are going to love this episode, but you're also going to love it. Even if you're like, I don't have any interest in raising these animals for a type of income, but I want to be doing permaculture type techniques with my orchard and my gardens, then you're going to be really interested in this too, because my guest today is Morgan Gold from Goldshaw Farm, and they have a fascinating story. I know you're going to love it as much as I do, and the way that they use geese and I, and I shouldn't say just items, I meant to say the way that they use geese and different forms of poultry other than just using chickens that aren't commonly used on homestead anymore. But when you look back, when we go back to the homesteading days and the farmers of old and homesteads of old, they really used these types of poultry in their full circle homesteads. So I think you're going to love it. I love looking at historical things or items that now some of you be like, oh, I've got geese, I already raised geese. But I would say there's a lot more people and a lot more homesteads who are raising chickens and then probably ducks and then geese would come later down that. So it's not as common in, you know, homesteading circles and in farms today like it was in times of old. But I think after listening to this episode that we might be bringing them back more to uh, modern society or modern homesteaders as a whole. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And if you're not familiar with Morgan, you are going to want to go and check out their farm even more. Um, Morgan is the owner and founder of Goldshaw Farm, which is a farm in Peacham, Vermont. <laughs> and he says more accurately, it's not quite a farm yet. But it was founded by Morgan Gold and Allison Abrami Gold in 2016. Goldshaw Farm is more of a farm startup than an honest-to-goodness farm. But their dream is that someday they're going to be able to make, they have a 150-plus acre parcel of land, a regenerative, productive, and profitable farm known for raising ducks and geese for meat and eggs, and a farm that also offers tree crops and bare root seedlings. So. You're going to get so much out of this episode. I learned a ton. I can't wait. So let's get right into it. Well, guys, I am super excited to dive into today's interview. So Morgan, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we are talking about a subject. I've done a lot of livestock raising over my, my days. I sound so ancient now. All my days as a homesteader here, but... <laughs> I have never gotten into doing ducks or geese. So those are some of the fowl that we have not went into. So tell me about one, your guys's parcel and your farm, Goldshaw Farm, 
and how you're regenerated and being productive and profitable on your farm and how the duck and the geese fit into that whole landscape. Sure. So, so yeah, we're up in northern Vermont um, in a little tiny town called Peachum, Vermont, about 700 people. And uh, we're on a farm that's uh, about 160 acres or so, mostly forest, but it was a former dairy farm. So it's got some large pasture, a giant old barn. And when we first bought the property, really the first thing that we focused on here on the farm was putting in an integrated orchard. So a mixture of chestnuts, apples, hazelnuts, black locust, uh, mulberry, and, and, and really having all those tree crops out there. And we wanted to get those established. And when it ultimately came time for us to start getting animals on the farm, because we'd already invested some time and energy and money into putting in the tree crops, I really got interested in ducks because of their insect control capabilities, how they can help with weeding. And so this sent me down this interesting rabbit hole of research about learning about ducks. And, and in doing that, what I learned was a couple of interesting things. Like number one, to, to raise farm ducks, you don't really need bodies of water. Um, and number two, they are as efficient of egg layer for certain breeds as chickens are. And, and so in doing that research, it got me thinking and also realizing that around here in the middle of nowhere, you know, like rural egg backyard egg production is very common. Everybody's got chickens. And what I thought is, well, you know, how can I be different? How can I stand out and have a product that I can sell people? And I realized, well, nobody really has duck eggs for sale around here. So let me try to get into that market. And, and so that's, that's really how we got our start. Oh, very fascinating. So I have to ask with the ducks, because I've had chickens for a number of years and we've tried free range and the coyotes had an open buffet, so that didn't work so well. Plus, when we were free ranging, they were quite destructive. I still have a grudge against them, I have to tell you, about my strawberries. They ate all of my strawberries before I could in one day, and I was quite angry with them. <laughs> so, so I don't let my, my chickens free range. But with the, and, and I found that the chickens were quite destructive, honestly, to a lot of my berry bushes, uh, the strawberries included, and then the garden area when it was in production mode. So I would have to keep them out of areas. So with the ducks for the insect control and the weeding, do they differ? Are they not as destructive to the chickens or are you just letting them in those areas when you don't have like the crops coming on? Yeah, the, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a different type of disruption that ducks do. So um, ducks are not going to scratch and turn things over the way chickens will. I mean, like chickens, right? They're like these little mini tillers walking around your garden. If you put them in there with ducks, what they are going to do is they have a softer bill. They're going to dig and nestle a little bit around in, into like, you know, uh, crops of weeds or wood chips or dirt, even a little bit. They like to, you know, drink from the mud and, and kind of filter feed off of insects that are going to be in there. And so the trick is, you know, number one, controlling where you have them. So if you put them in like a lettuce patch, they will devour your lettuce. Okay. But if you have them in a garden that is sort of more taller crops, you know, and this is why they're great for like, if you had a vineyard or if you're doing tree crops like we're doing, you know, they're not going to decimate your chestnut trees. They're just going to go all around and, and eat around everything else, which is, which is kind of what you want. And, and so if it's, it's, it's having the right types of crops, or the other thing is, and we do this with our garden on a regular basis, we'll run them through the garden for an hour or two. So rather than let them go in and just have full access for like days and days and days where they're going to have the time to do that destruction, 
let them go in there for two hours and run through and eat all of your slugs and snails and maybe a few other insects and then boom, they're out. And, and so controlling how much time you give them too can also play a, a big role in, in managing sort of how much destruction they can create. Okay. And I think you might've just like spoken a love language. So they will eat the slugs and the snails because my chickens don't really, they don't really go after the slugs and the snails, but the ducks do. There's nothing they like better than slugs. I mean, <sighs> like that, that is like, it's, it's, you know, it's funny with even the ducklings, we'll put them out there and they will, they go crazy for it. They love, especially, yeah, those, those mollusky type things. They love them. Oh boy. Okay, things may get dangerous here on the homestead. I'll have to figure out a way to make to broach this subject to my husband <laughs> on bringing in the ducks because the slugs and the snails, especially this year, but kind of always in the Pacific Northwest. Um, oh, they are just like the bane of the garden. They're they're my most. I know a lot of people battle with deer and squirrels um, and like vine borers on their squash. And up here, we don't really we do have deer, but we've been able to keep them at bay pretty easily from the garden and we have squirrels, but they don't come into the, the garden area. And I don't have those vine bores, um, vine bores and the squash, which I almost feel guilty for saying to people when they deal with them, but the slugs are so destructive. So, okay. I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit excited about that. Well, but, but even in your circumstance too, I think it's important. Think about the number of ducks. So if you were to get like two or three ducks, right. And you pen them up in different parts of your garden and around your property over the course of kind of day by day, as long as you're keeping them moving, they're not going to do too much disruption and destruction, but at the same time, they're going to be able to help you manage those pest levels for sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, my brain is, sorry, like my, my thoughts are going so fast right now. It's hard for me to actually come out with the words and form them because I'm like, okay, well, I could do this and we could do this and we could do that. So I'm getting, I'm getting quite excited. Um, As my buddy Austin likes to say, you have become abducted. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. I like that. Yes. I'm definitely getting intrigued now. So you had mentioned when you guys were looking at the ducks and one of the things that I love about this conversation is is for, for us with our pestle, like I said, it's slugs and snails. And then you are looking and like, okay, well, we know that our crops are going to be, you know, we have these orchards that we put in. What is the livestock that is going to suit this best? And we're not trying to flip it and saying like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm going to bring in whatever I want. And then I'm going to try to deal with it later. Like really looking at it, like this is what's going to suit this best and taking some thought beforehand and, and bringing those in and making it work with what you've got in your goals. Cause I think it can be really easy sometimes with homesteading, you know, like you get, it's kind of, you just look and you see all the things everybody's doing and you get excited and you want to try them, but without really thinking about it sometimes, is this going to work best for my environment and what our goals are and then going that route first? Oh, completely. You know, I mean, like, let me give you an example. I don't think we will ever have goats on our property, right? Um, and, and the reason for that is because we have the tree crops, you know, if a goat gets out and does some damage on those tree crops, that could set me back two or three years in terms of progress of what I've had just like for an afternoon of loose fencing, you know? And, and so that, that makes it a, a type of animal that I wouldn't want to take a risk on just because of the damage it could do to the rest of the farm. Um, so yeah, really thinking about your context and what you have going on around you is so important versus just saying, Ooh, that looks cool. And that looks cool. It's, it's much more about, you know, what are the most important things to you build that foundation and then build things off of that foundation for adding additional animals or crops or whatever you're going to do. Yeah. 
we had goats and we got them to clear brush when we first purchased our property. It was, it was just, there was no well, there was nothing. It was just bare land. And so we had to do a lot of clearing where we wanted to put the house in the garden, et cetera. And so we got some goats in thinking that they would really help us with the brush. Well, the, they do to a degree. We have a lot of blackberry vines, which are actually not native here, but they are like a noxious weed. They just take over. They're not your domesticated kind. They're, they're very invasive. And so we thought that the goats would really help with them. Um, and they did strip the leaves, but they didn't actually go down and get the roots. So they didn't really clear them. However, I had just purchased, because like I said, it was uh, brand new bare land and, and we were developing it ourselves. And so I had just planted some landscaping. And at that time, like I had spent $100 on plants and that was like for all of the, the landscaping for our whole property. And at that point in time, that was a lot of money. It still can be a lot of money this, these days. And so I had gotten them all planted. They'd been in like a week. And just like you were saying, somehow we had the goats fenced in and with electric fencing and on a picket. And they got out. <laughs> and by the time it was in the early morning and when I went outside for the day, they had eaten all of those plants. And the screeching the neighbors heard, I'm sure they were wondering what was going on because I was so mad. So I'm with you. I don't, I don't know that we'll ever bring goats on either. They, uh, yeah, they, they can be destructive quite fast. Right. No, but it's all about working within your context. Yeah. And that's actually how we get, that's how we got started with geese too. I mean, when it really comes down to it. So for the ducks, let's go back to the ducks. And then I do want to talk about geese too, but with the ducks for the meat and eggs, because like you were saying, you were, you were getting them to, to help um, with the weed and the weeding and, and pest management as well in context with the orchard and the berry plants, but also for the eggs, because that was something that wasn't oversaturated where you guys live. And you knew that you were not just using them for your own consumption, but that you wanted to sell them. So with the ducks, what are some of the breeds that are better for egg production um, versus just meat. Yeah, sure. So, so you know, the, there's a whole wide variety, just like chickens, a wide variety of ducks that are out there. Um, you know, some ducks that are like your bigger, heavier-bodied birds, like uh, the Pekins or uh, Muscovies. You know, those are the the types of, of bird that people typically raise for meat production. Here on our farm, mostly what we focus on is the egg piece, and and that's why we end up with a breed called the Khaki Campbell. Khaki Campbells are I'd call them kind of small to mid-sized ducks. They're lighter weight. Um, they are kind of descended from sort of a combination of mallards and, and runner ducks. And um, they can lay roughly about 300 eggs per year per bird. And so if you think about some of your, your most uh, productive chickens you could have, that's about on par. And, yeah. and so that's, that's actually what we, or sort of the main breed of duck we have on here. We've got a couple of other uh, varieties in the mix too, but, but for the most part, it's khaki Campbell's. And what we do is we will, um, I've got a whole batch of, of eggs sitting in the incubator across from me in my office here as I'm talking to you. And we will hatch ducklings on a regular basis, either ducklings or goslings on a regular basis. And then as we raise them up, we will often keep on the, the duck side, keep the females for the egg laying but then we have to call out the males and, and actually calling the males is actually a necessity because if you have a skewed ratio of too many males to, to not enough females, it's actually really bad for your flock. It, it, you're going to have injured, hurt and sick birds, even dead birds that, that happen from the mating. And so by trying to keep our numbers where we have roughly five females or six females for every drake uh, or male duck, 
that's that's really what we're striving for. And so that means that we're also what we feel like is ethically producing meat. And and so recognizing that the meat is almost a byproduct of the egg business because you have to manage your numbers and, and kind of keep those males in check. Yeah. So educate me. What's the difference between a duckling and a gosling? Um, a duckling is, you know, a baby duck, a gosling is a baby goose. A duckling okay. is, you know, in terms of how you raise them, I would actually say there's not a significant difference. Probably the biggest difference between the two is that, you know, d- uh, ducks are omnivores. They eat plants and insects. And, and so your, your diet needs are a little bit different than geese who are primarily grazers. And, and so even from the earliest days, my goslings, I make sure they always get fresh grass and dandelion greens because it, number one, teaches them the right things to eat. And number two, gives them the nutrition that they need. And really by week four, like, so I have about uh, 40 goslings right now on my front yard, just basically mowing down a quarter acre of grass this morning because they are just eating away all that grass. I'm not giving them a, a lick of feed. They're only eating grass at this point. And, and so that becomes really the most sustainable form of producing meat. And so, so the difference between them is, is just slightly changing their diet, especially as they age. And by the time that they're like, say, eight weeks old for either of them, their diets look very different. Okay. So with the ducks, so the, the drakes, your male ducks, because we need to keep that ratio, which is very similar with chickens too, honestly, with, with your roosters. So they, yep. they, they have a lot of similarities there. Um, at what age are they butcherable or, you know, at what age do you usually start butchering them? Are they large enough? Yeah. So, so it sort of depends on the breed a little, breed a little bit for the khaki Campbells where we have, we will usually wait until about uh, week 16 or so um, okay. because they're smaller birds. I really want to give them a chance to, to put on some weight. And also just for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who has a, kind of some strong beliefs around ethical meat consumption. And I, I often feel like the, the quick turnaround breeds of, of whether it's chickens or ducks even that you're raising for like, you know, seven weeks or so or eight weeks on, you know, out there and then harvesting them. Those are less ideal to me. I mean, I understand the economic necessity of it for some folks, but I would rather let a bird get kind of a fuller, longer life, live through the course of a summer and then harvest it. And so, so that, that's typically what we're doing. So it's, it's usually about week 16 or so. Okay. So it's about four weeks, which, you know, that's about for a lot of your heritage meat bird for chickens, that's about on par with them. And of course we do some Cornish cross. Um, and those are, we usually do it between about eight and 10 weeks, but really four, I mean, 16 weeks, four months is still, that's pretty good turnaround time from birth to butchering age for any type of meat. That's really good. Yeah. Well, I mean, what we're trying to do here is, you know, we're trying to set up a cycle because this is our, our third full year of doing uh, waterfowl. And, and what, what we're trying to do is actually have a cycle where we get the goslings going first because geese have a shorter uh, breeding season. They don't lay eggs all year. And so you have a finite window for when you can hatch your geese. And so we've, got in, we've just gotten through that sort of period of time. Now we're moving full on into duck season. And ideally what we're doing is, is trying to raise them all up all together at the same time because the, the geese we're harvesting at about 20 weeks so that mm-hmm. we can do really probably two big butchering days to get most of the birds off here by the time we, we hit the winter and then we're just down to our breeding stock again. Okay, gotcha. So about with the ducks, 
at that 16 week mark, kind of what's the average pounds you're getting per bird? Yeah, for, for uh, khaki Campbell's, you know, it's, it's probably a finished weight of about four ish pounds or so. So, so they're not big birds at all. Um, uh-huh. you know, relatively light, but, but also by the time they, they hit week five or six, they're getting probably, cause they're great foragers, probably more than half their diet from the pasture. So in terms of like what you're thinking about from a, uh, how much you're paying for your feed. And if you're thinking about your feed conversion from that perspective, it is, you know, pound kind of pound per dollar about the same as like, say, uh, you know, more heritage bird of like a more heritage chicken. Um, yeah. you know, like a, 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 what are they? The red rangers, that, that type of uh-huh. breed. Yeah. Okay. Very, very interesting. So I've only had duck, I think twice. Um, it's, it's not really, well, and maybe this depends on where you're at. I'm in the Pacific Northwest and, and where you're around, but here we do have a little bit of wild duck, but like the hunting for duck and stuff is just not that big of a thing. And, I, and there's not a lot of people that raise them for meat. And then therefore you don't see the meat typically in the grocery stores, or at least I don't. But when I have had it, it's a darker meat. Um, I would say greasier, um, than chicken and maybe that was just the way it was prepared but as far as like flavor and then like your guys's favorite ways to prepare it cook it you know recipes that type of thing um walk me through just a little bit of that with the duck because i'm just kind of curious yeah i mean you know so, so i think with ducks it's, it's really think about them as you know dark meat turkey but the entire bird um okay. in that yeah it's, it's it's a little fattier and if you don't necessarily pre- prepare it right it can get the meat can get kind of greasier um, what the, my favorite way to do a duck or a goose is to, uh, actually, uh, you know, what, like spatchcocking where you, uh, kind of split the bird down the middle in half, uh-huh. spread it out and then kind of put it flat, um, do that and then roast it in the oven for about two hours or so. And maybe for like the last, uh, 10, 15 minutes, throw it under the broiler and let it crisp up the skin. And, and that's, I mean, I don't know. I think that can't be beat. <laughs> so it, okay. it's actually really, really simple to do it that way. Um, and, and that's probably our favorite way. The other thing that we do is, you know, especially with the geese is we will, you know, kind of defrost a goose for the week and you can get several different types of meals from it by parting it out. So, you know, like you can have your legs be one meal, legs and thighs be one meal. You can have, you know, something that you do with the breasts. Like for example, I have, um, uh, in our basement right now, uh, goose prosciutto curing as we speak from goose Ooh. breast. Yeah. And, and so you can like kind of make things like that. And then you have the whole body and neck, which, you know, makes like wonderful soups and, and stocks. And oftentimes too, when we part it out, we'll skin it. And if you skin the bird and then render that skin, you can get about, mm, I don't know, 16 ounces of fat. Which, really? Yeah. Which, which is, I think probably the best way on earth to cook potatoes. Like if you want to do roast potatoes, like roast them in goose fat mm. and like will blow your mind. <laughs> Okay, I am totally getting hungry now. It's not even lunchtime, and I'm actually my mouth is beginning to water. And I've never even tasted goose fat, so I don't even know. But you made it sound so good. So with the geese, obviously they're a larger bird. So I will love that you can use it one bird, and you're getting all those different meals from it. So it sounds like you're actually getting a lot more from a goose because of the size than you would be for the ducks. But you don't have the egg production. So with the geese. How big are they or what's your average um, pound once it's all dressed out? Are you getting from one? 
Yeah. So, so, you know, the geese are much bigger. Um, I would say, you know, mature goose when we're harvesting, they're ranging depending if it's male or female between say nine and 13 pounds. Um, okay. So think about it kind of more in the turkey range, if you will, like a heritage bird turkey, you know, so the duck is more equivalent to the heritage chicken, the, the goose more heritage turkey equivalent. Um, the meat quality consistency compared to duck is actually, I find it to be very, very similar. Um, you know, and, and, and so I think that that, that is nice in and of itself. But, but the reason I am probably the biggest proponent of geese above all else, and I, I get that, yeah, the egg production isn't there compared to ducks, but if you're thinking about raising birds for meat, they are absolutely the most sustainable form of poultry you can raise. They are more sustainable than turkeys, more sustainable than chickens, guineas, you know, ducks, anything, because when it comes down to it, if you're raising any of those birds, you have a substantial amount of their diet that's coming in the form of grains that you have to bring onto your farm and, you know, pay and feed them. But if you have access to pastures and you have access to grass, you know, 85% of your, your bird's diet is going to end up coming from the pasture. And so they're more like, say, a cow or a sheep in terms of, of what they're eating from a diet perspective. And in that, in terms of carbon footprint and impact on the environment and requirements of inputs and just even cost to raise, I think actually makes them a, a much more effective bird to, to, to have on the farm. And, and so, you know, I would say even, even though we started out really focusing in on ducks over the last couple of years, the more and more I work with geese, the more and more passionate I become about just how important they are and, and the value that they have to the farm. And then on top of it all, they're just you know, very good animals to work with. Yeah, they can get a little bit loud here and there. But, but other than that, you know, I, I just find them to be fascinating. And on top of it all, you can, can also raise geese just for being guard animals. And you can take a gosling and put it with some, some baby chicks and your, your chickens will forever have a, a strong protector keeping aerial predators away and helping alert you to trouble and probably keeping like a, a weasel or a, a raccoon away as well. So, so you know, there's just a lot of benefit there. Okay. So fascinating. So I know when you have ducks, especially a, a drake, a male duck, um, that you have a lot of issues and they can kill the hens if they're with them, but that's not the case with the geese. Yeah, no, geese are actually more monogamous. They will generally speaking mate for life or mate for long periods of time. Um, and, 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 you know, you can have more of a one-to-one -one ratio too, between your males and females, you know, we skew just a little bit heavier towards the females in terms of what we keep on hand for the breeding stock, just because, um, you, you know, you can have, you know, a little bit of a different ratio and that'll give you more fur legs for hatching purposes. But, uh, generally speaking, you, you don't have to control the numbers like you would with ducks. Okay. That's really interesting. So with the geese, I know you said they're not as prolific egg layers as the ducks and the chickens, but how many eggs and at what age do they start laying? I should ask the geese. And then how many eggs do you get on average per year? Yeah, sure. So, so um, you know, what we found is that the, the geese that we hatch out in the springtime, that next spring, they will be producing fertile eggs for you. So, so you have to almost give it like a year turnaround or so. Um, and then in terms of egg production, I was finding that this spring we were getting, uh, I want to say about three or four eggs per bird per week. Um, 
And, you know, look, a goose egg, if you've ever seen it, it, it kind of blows your mind just how big it is, especially, um, you know, it's funny. We had like a silky pullet at the same time laying eggs and we had these goose eggs and I was like coming into the house each morning and like comparing the two. And it's, it's just, it, it's amazing. Um, so, so, but, but, but those big eggs take a long time. And so you will get eggs for somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight to 10 weeks over the course of the spring. And, mm-hmm. and that laying period is really the only period you have from an egg production standpoint from the geese. You can eat them or you can hatch them. And, and so we, we try to invest all of our time and energy as we can or as much as we can in focusing on either selling hatching eggs or hatching the eggs ourselves so that we can then um, take advantage of, of adding to our numbers based on, on kind of the fertility of our breeding stock. Okay. So then with you guys, if the... Obviously, with the geese, it's not selling the eggs like it is with the ducks. So from like a monetary standpoint, are you, are you selling the geese when they're young or are you selling the birds after they've been butchered or a combination or how, how are you guys uh, doing that? Yeah, it's, it's a combo. So, you know, for example, we've probably sold, I don't know, about a dozen birds already. We've sold, I don't know, probably about 20 eggs for hatching, 24 eggs for hatching. Um, and then, you know, but we'll, we'll make most of our money from, from the geese in the fall when we sell, uh, birds for, for meat. Um, and, and, you know, it's a good model too. You know, you think about like the historical, like Christmas goose, um, you know, that's what people are looking for. And so, you know, we're, we're looking to harvest late fall so that people can have them on hand for whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or other holidays. Yeah, no, I like that. That's, um, that's pretty cool. Now I'm a little bit excited about the geese. So I want to circle back to, cause you were saying that the geese, as far as like your feed bill and what they eat, like that's a, a really big difference. If it, that's probably one of the biggest differentiators between them and, and the ducks and even the chickens. So with your, how are, are you, I'm assuming you're like, do you have them, you don't have to have them like in a chicken tractor. They're a bigger bird and they're more aggressive. So they're probably don't have as much predator issues like you were saying it's the raccoons and stuff um and then how often like how are you you what's your grazing pattern like with them i guess that's what i'm asking yeah sure so so um our grazing pattern is you know i actually keep them in chicken tractors right now um where you know basically i'll move the tractor during the day i let them free range with some poultry netting around just to keep them from wandering off uh during the day and you know lock them up at night because you know uh, a weasel or a raccoon will keep their distance from from a flock of geese coyotes or a bear uh, or bobcat will still make a quick work of a goose and and so you do need to protect them you can't just treat them completely um as as sort of free rangers i'm actually in the process right now of changing how we do it on our farm where this this summer i'm putting in uh, fencing in about an eight acre area that's going to have five foot high fencing. And with that fencing plus our livestock guardian dog, that's when I'm going to let the, the geese just basically completely free range 24 um, seven. But I'm not quite there yet because I, I feel like you do need some of that infrastructure to keep some of those bigger predators out. Um, in, in, in terms of, of kind of the, the feeding piece though, and, and sort of, you know, what does that mean? You know, it really is that easy that you don't have to truck food out to them though while they're out there on pasture. And as long as you keep giving them fresh pasture and, you know, I would say that for, if you have 10 geese, you could give them a half an acre for a week 
and they will clear it out and then be ready to go on to the next half acre. And you could run them within that space um, over the span of about eight weeks and kind of loop back through. So, you know, you're, you're, talk, you're not talking a lot of space for, for a fair amount of birds and a fair amount of meat. Okay. So during the winter months then, when obviously like, I know you guys get snow and, and we get a lot of rain, but we do get some snow, then are you just feeding them hay or? Yeah. So, so in the winter months, I usually switch to corn. So, so okay. they don't like hay <laughs> as much as okay. I try. <laughs> they just don't like it, you know, and, and, and which is a shame because I would really like it to be the case, but, but they don't like the hay. So I usually feed them corn as well as a mix of like sprouted grains. Um, and, oh, and so that's, okay. that's what makes up most of their diet in the winter okay. months, which is why I'm actually very careful to control our numbers down to just the breeding stock. Um, and, and then kind of go back up. So it's like, you know, we had like, you know, five geese this winter. We have, I don't know, probably about 65 geese going right now. And then we'll probably be back down to maybe 10 or 12 this, this coming winter. And so it's just a matter of trying to manage your numbers so that you can keep your winter co- feeding costs down as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But, well, but actually, on the hay part. If you're in a rainier climate, more temperate climate, like you are, I mean, like we have four feet of snow on the pasture from, you know, the end of October until the end of April. And so for us, you know, light grazing is impossible. But if you're in a situation where you can see the ground and they can get at the ground, uh-huh. um, you're going to find that they can still get more of their, their uh, diet from the pasture. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's actually us. I mean, we, you know, we'll get some snowstorms that'll come through and we might get a foot or two, but typically on a typical year, that snow will last for like two weeks and then we'll get, you know, rain again and it'll pretty much be gone. And then we may have another storm. So most of the time we're not completely covered with snow. You can still see the ground. So that I'm actually, okay. I'm quite intrigued, Boy, you're, you're really um, broadening my, my foul horizons now of some things that I want to All right, good. I'm, I feel like I'm doing my good deed for the day. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do care about this stuff and, and sort of a big part of why we do like things like the YouTube channel is just to make sure people know just how powerful these birds can be for a farm because they're often sort of forgotten for the more common things like, you know, chickens. Yeah. Turkey. yeah. And we haven't done turkeys just because I'll be quite honest. I don't want to deal with the turkeys. I feel like they need a lot of babying and I'm like, I don't have time for an animal breed as a whole that needs a lot of babying. That probably sounds really crass, but it's true. So that's why we haven't bothered with turkeys to be honest. But um, what, so talking, cause like, you know, turkeys can drown in the rain. They're, I feel bad for saying this, but they're kind of known as being stupid animals. And maybe that's a misconception on my part because I have not raised turkeys. But what would be, you would say, the most difficult part about raising geese? Do they have any little things that are nuances that are more difficult than others or that you should just be aware of? Yeah. So, so, and I think this goes for ducks and geese. Um, You know, water is probably the most complicated thing about it. You know, earlier in the show, I mentioned that, you know, you don't need a body of water to, to have ducks or geese. And that's true, but they do need water to like dunk their bills in. So the way that they drink, the way that they keep their, their faces clean, they need to be able to dunk their head into water, which splashes and makes a mess. And, you know, when you're brooding baby birds, that's how you get the gross stinky brooder going. Um, (laughs) As they're older, that's how you have the risk of like getting compaction on your pasture. Um, and, and so having clever ways to manage your water and, and make sure it's not becoming a mess, but also making sure that your birds have access to fresh water. That's probably the hardest part about raising ducks and geese 
Maybe the second hardest part is harvesting and it actually plays back into water too because they have the waterproof feathers, which makes them much more weatherproof than say turkeys. And you don't have the problems like you just described. Um, it actually makes it har harder to scald and pluck. And so plucking them to get a perfectly clean bird is much harder as well. And, and so, the, you know, those are the, probably the two biggest trade-offs that you have if you're looking at doing waterfowl. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. We have a plethora of water, but making sure that they've got it available to them in that way, like you said, so it's not a huge mess. Um, have you, is there any like really great like tip or trick you have for that watering? You know, I, I, I keep trying to refine it. I feel like, you know, so for example, when they're babies, I always make sure that I actually use like a, you know, like what you'd use like chick feeder trays. Uh -huh. I'll use those, but fill those up with water so that they can dunk their heads in, but they can't go swimming in it, for example. Uh -huh. So that's an example. As okay. they get older, what I find is like trying to have various types of covers where they can dunk their head in, but they can't get anything more than their head in there. And then as, as they get to be sort of more mature and they are out on pasture, what I do is I just get like, you know, large tubs, like, you know, like say two and a half gallon tubs and, uh -huh. and set them up and have a handful of them scattered around the pasture and just make sure I change them on a regular basis and don't keep them in the same spot. And kind of in doing all of those, it, it heads off most of the water issues that you're going to have to deal with. Okay, cool. So I'm actually finding this really fascinating because this is a whole other subject. But we're doing American guinea hogs this year, which are almost went extinct, but they're a heritage hog and very different um, than doing regular hogs. But they're not that well known or commonly used on homesteads compared to a lot of other breeds. So they're kind of, I don't want to use the word trending, but they're making a comeback. I, that sounds better. But in reference to that, why do you think that geese aren't as commonly used around the homesteads? because they sound like they're really great for all of the reasons, especially if you have, I should say, if you have pasture land um, in areas that you can graze them on. But why do you think that they're not as commonly used as say chickens or even ducks really? I feel more people do ducks than they do geese in the homesteading realm. Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think, you know, number one, you know, the, the sort of availability is harder, you know, back to that, point I made earlier around they have a tighter window for when they're hatching out and when you can get babies. That smaller window, I think, makes it less um, readily available for folks. And so it makes it harder for people to get into. It's like either you're in it on in April or you're out for the whole year. Um, okay. and, and so I think that that's one dimension of it. I think the other is there is a sort of stereotype with geese that they could be aggressive and dangerous. And you know, I think it's recognizing that there's a difference from breed to breed and a difference between breeding season and non-breeding season. So, so um, some, some geese, uh, like the Chinese breed of, of goose, is, is just much more aggressive. African geese are much more aggressive versus if I think of something like an Emden or a pilgrim goose, um, which are just you know, much more sedate, much more chill. And, and, and so I think picking the right breed is important. Um, and then I think the other piece is it's recognizing that during mating season, give the geese their space. You know, <laughs> I've gotten okay. gander here and there just by virtue of the fact that, you know, I'm going in there and trying to change waterers while the mothers are hatching out some, some baby goslings right at that moment. Like that's, that's your danger zone. You got to just know that their instincts are to protect above all else. They're such amazing, wonderful parents 
that you got to be as the, as the, the caretaker and farmer, just careful, not that, not to get in the way of that instinct. And, and, and so I think, I think that that does scare people off, but I will say, I, I think that they are, are, are wonderful birds, sweet and loving and, and, and really great to work with. You just have to recognize kind of how they operate and what they're like. Okay. Well, I am super fascinated and now I'm going to be looking more into geese and ducks as well, uh, especially the geese. The more you, you shared about the geese um, and the way that the pasture rotation is huge for us. And like you said, not having huge feed bills is really a, a big deal. So I'm really kind of, I'm really excited to look into, into the geese. So for someone like me, who is obviously very new to, to geese and the notion of, of their care and everything that they would need, what's the best place for people to connect with you to learn more about raising geese and ducks and that type of thing? Sure. So, so we have a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Gold Shaw Farm. Gold Shaw Farm. Um, and, and, and really in that, what I try to do is put out two videos a week talking about life here on our farm and the different stories that come up. And as you can imagine, especially this time of year, most of them are about geese and ducks. And, and so <laughs> we try to pull together a lot of content here around that. Um, and, and so, yeah, if, if folks want to learn more, definitely check us out on YouTube. Okay. Awesome. And, and guys, I'll have links uh, to, as you, as you know, in the show notes and everything, and, and we'll link to uh, your guys' website and YouTube, of course, um, so that people can go and get more information. And of course, I will be checking them out because now my curiosity has been whetted for geese. So awesome. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I got another convert. Way to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really excited. So thank you so much for coming on Morgan. It was fun. And we definitely will have to get together and talk more about homesteading uh, livestock and fun things. And I'm, I love to, um, the regenerative part that you guys are doing with your farm and really using the livestock uh, to do that. I think that's really cool. So I'm excited. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. If you want to check out some of the links and all of the different resources that, that we were talking about with this episode, you can go to the blog post at melissaknorris.com forward slash 264. So just the, the numbers 264 because this is episode 264. I've also got where I will link in the show notes for you. You might want to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes where we talk about raising livestock, especially poultry. If you're interested in raising chickens for me, you definitely are going to want to check out episode number 256. And then when it actually comes to processing day, if you plan on butchering your own poultry, you definitely are going to want to listen to the episode right before this one, which is episode number 263. Now, if you want more episodes where we dive into raising ducks, you'll want to check out episode number 79, which is how to raise ducks for eggs and the top pick for preparedness and homesteading. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I can't wait to be back here with you next Friday. So may your following week be filled with blessings and mason jars. I'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.